When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the offense today. From that Commanders game, the 23rd consecutive Ravens win. And uh, one we're going to talk about uh, in terms of uh, uh, what happened, uh, players that made uh, potentially space for themselves on the roster, some other interesting roster concerns across multiple position groups, uh, and a, a big newcomer to Baltimore. But joining me to talk about that is is Jim Zipko. Jim, how are you doing? I'm great, Ken. How are you? I can't complain at all. Always a pleasure to talk football with you, my friend, and I'm sure you're going to have a lot to say about this game. But you mentioned something to me in the production meeting that was very interesting, and that was about the Ravens fans' unusual relationship to this win streak. Talk about that a little bit. Well, I think that there is a certain extent to which Ravens fans, when they interact with fans of other teams, are a little bit defensive or maybe put a little bit on the defensive about this win streak as if the 22nd game the 23rd game in the streak is the Ravens Super Bowl you know and, and we don't have any other like accomplishments to defend uh and and the Ravens organization is putting a lot of effort into winning these games you know playing starters deep into games or, or stuff like that things that just flatly aren't true that Ravens fans are kind of put in the position of almost having to defend yeah, I, I think I think honestly, it's pretty uh, silly. It's it's fairly obvious from anyone who studied this. There's a lot of weirdness in the streak, but it's almost exclusively come down to 
uh, some luck, but also incredible organizational defensive depth. And when you think about who's playing in the second half of most games, most games it's not Sam Howell. You know, the Washington Commanders had a competent quarterback Mm -hmm. and at the end of that game, it looks like he's going to be a starter in the NFL someday, you know, almost certainly from what I'm looking at. I was really Uh, impressed with him, yeah. Yeah, a terrific game. But but most of the time, you know, it's a Josh Woodrum or it's some other, you know, backup quarterback for another team that's, a, that's you know, trying like hell to get a chance out of a, you know, sometimes not even a, a Division One school, uh, you know, and, and is, uh, you know, there with, with very limited credentials and ability. And you have a defense that's uh, stacked nine deep at defensive line and, and six deep at safety and eight deep at corner. And, and they're going up against this team with guys who are actually trying to make an NFL roster instead of, you know, trying to have their, the football moment of their life yeah. <laughs> in the third and fourth quarter of the last preseason game. I saw an interesting statistic today that of the people who are on NFL rosters around the organization, or I'm sorry, around the NFL, the team that they most commonly entered the NFL with, either by draft or by undrafted free agency first contract, was the Ravens with uh, well over, I think, 50 such players, which was the largest number. 50 outside of their own players. Outside of, yes, excuse me, that's correct, right. 50 outside of their own players, which means that the guys who are not going to make a roster spot in Baltimore, you know, they're the 55th guy for the 53-man roster or the 60th guy for the three-man ro- mm-hmm. 53-man roster, they're fighting like hell in the fourth quarter of, the, of these games to put tape out there that will get them their job in Tennessee or Arizona or, you know, wherever they're going to wind up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very true. And uh, yeah, a, a lot of the success, obviously, in the in the fourth quarter, there has been occasional success on offense, but it's pretty much been on defense where yeah. the Ravens have just completely dominated these games and, you know, denied two point conversion attempts in various ways. Anyway, I find it interesting that anyone would really uh, talk about the streak in a negative way. The other group that I find is very interesting to talk about this is talk about talk with anybody who thinks they understand gambling, who who wants to opine that this is the reason, this is the game the Ravens are going to lose. Okay, in the thing. Because then I, I always say, that sounds interesting. Let's hear your reasoning for that. You know, oftentimes you hear it on Twitter. And I literally I got somebody talking about a, you know, a backup punt returner on the Redskins last year that that, that he thought was the guy who was going to break the Ravens streak. Well, get serious. Is that what I'm saying? You know, so you, wait, you better... is he thinking that the Ravens are setting it up for a big payday by finally laying down and dying in the fifth preseason game? Is that the, is that the idea? No, just, there's, I, you know, one of the, one of the things you guess you could point to is the Ravens defensive depth is outstanding, but the game is, is consistently overpriced now with the streak. If somebody had used that logic with me, mm-hmm. I'd have said, you could be right. You yeah. know, I, I, preseason games don't deserve ever more than about a three or four point spread at the most, you know, not like a regular season game. So I would let that go. But when they start talking about personnel as if they, they understand what's going to happen, because I just I, I, I am amused by it. I never respond. But beyond that, but I, but I always want to hear it. The only the thing question. that I think is is almost relevant is that with the defensive line rotation, the way the Ravens play it. There are guys who would have been starters in this particular game, not necessarily regular season starters, but starters in this game who would come back in, you know, as the quarters go on with the regular rotation, because you can't have some guy playing the entire second half a defensive tackle. Like you have to maintain a rotation. Guys need a blow and that kind of thing. 
Yeah, and I think the Ravens plan for that a little bit, but their plans went awry. So so they have the retirement thing they do. And I kind of mentioned this on the defensive pods. They don't want to go into it too deeply, but you know, they 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 have 44 players that are trying to get through the game with, which doesn't sound so bad when that's offensive defense. You have three specialists mm-hmm. already we're at 47. What are you talking about? There's only one short of an NFL game. Right. We have 48. But then you have a whole bunch of limited pitch count guys, and there's about six of those, and they're coming out early. Then you have another wave of players who retire at halftime. Yep. And what you're left with is a bunch of guys in the second half, very shorthanded group to start with, that has to play almost every snap. If you have a lot of defensive snaps, as they did in this game, you end up with a lot of guys playing consecutive snaps. And then they had a couple injuries to make it worse. Yeah. First to Aaron Crawford and then to Kevon Seymour. And, and those were injuries that, that really hurt them at positions they were very short. And that leads to a wide receiver playing defensive back in the fourth quarter. There you go. How cool is that, huh? Uh, it reminded me of the Belichick Patriots. Yeah, a little, a little bit. They had Gronk back there missing a tackle on a big play, right? I guess. I was Miami. thinking longer ago. Didn't they have uh, maybe around 2010? Yeah, yeah, like well, before 2010, they had some some situations where wide receivers had to play corner and stuff like that. So Dean Pease was once at the microphone for the for the Ravens, and I asked him why they played so little dime defense over the last five years. And and his first response was, I played up to eight defensive backs at New England kind of thing. <laughs> it, was, it was obviously clearly a little bit defensive about this, and, and part of it might be that he, they might have had internal conversations about needing to go over to more dime because uh, it was actually the next year they, they really went to a lot more dime in Pease last year. And then in 2018, of course, or 2019, uh, uh, when uh, Wink was in his second year then? Yeah, yeah, he was in his second year. Right. Then they 40, 42% died. So. Yeah. Uh, but it was interesting to hear that. But he, but he, he did talk a little bit about that in terms of of uh, you know playing with with receivers and uh, Patton and might have been Slater was back there. They had Gronkowski on the on the famous play against Miami who missed a tackle, uh, and or wasn't able to make a tackle. Let's put it that way. Uh, but it's nice to it's nice to see Webb back there. He's not the first Ravens defensive back to play defense. The last one in 2018 was Tim White who came in to play slot corner for six snaps. Was that a regular uh, also, season game or was that a no? Preseason? Also the finale, also against Washington. Interesting. So it was a, a weird uh, situation. He didn't make the team. He was a camp darling, but uh, but he did not. Speaking make the team. of camp darlings, I would like to tell you that I have long simmering resentment against the Washington franchise in preseason games. Uh, you know that I am the patron saint of lost cause wide receivers. And my uh, favorite wide receiver before 2019 that the Ravens drafted, poor Marcus Smith, tore up his knee covering a punt uh, in, uh, I think it was in Baltimore uh, in a preseason game, cost him the season. Yeah, Marcus Smith, definitely the greatest Ravens receiver ever to make a major receiving contribution without ever having a catch. Yep. And, and yep. yeah, he had a pass interference call he took at uh, Pittsburgh in the 2008 AFC Championship that set up the second touchdown. Right. His they his right per right. reception contributions literally off the charts. Because <laughs> when you define by zero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. All right. Well, let's uh, let's keep going on with another receiver here and the talk of the town uh, the last couple of days to Marcus Robinson who I really believe has, has pretty much changed the the offense in a, in a lot of ways since he got here. But I, I'm going to encourage people to go to the website, if you would, read the article. It has some analysis of the uh, six receptions he had. There were a lot of a lot of like common hey, threads running through. Yes? 
Let's uh, let's not make a rookie mistake here. Why don't you tell us what the name of the website is, the URL? The, uh, oh, there you go. Filmstudybaltimore.com. I do appreciate it. I thought we were going to have some sound issue. I've been on mute all that no, time. No, no, no. Aiken usually starts. <laughs> <laughs> so filmstudybaltimore.com. You say there's an article up on there, eh? Yes, there's an article on the on – the, it's called the uh, Offensive Notes, and, uh, and it has four football players. It's kind of like a picture in front of it if you're having a hard time finding it. But anyway, that'll uh, – that it gives a lot of detail and some grading of individual players the game is something we're kind of talking through at a high level in this but you'll to get to the detail you got to go into the article i i, I think it's yeah, you get a lot of other great thoughts from jim uh from from the podcast here but demarcus robinson uh boy did he look good i'll let you start well uh i think what i would want to start with is that for a player who's coming in as a veteran and going to carve out a rotational role, when you think about the guys that he's playing against, so guys who are struggling, to, you know, fighting for a roster spot, likely going to be on practice squads around the league or maybe UPS drivers or something, mm-hmm. you want him, he needed to look much better than the competition he was playing against. And he absolutely did. You know, so so what that translates to against real NFL starters, I don't know, but he was clearly a cut above the guys that he was on the field against on Saturday. Yeah, I, on Saturday. Just looking at the two moves he put on, the unbelievable sluggo oh. move he put on, and then the then the out and up or out and go, whatever you want to call it, um, that move and how the defensive back reacted to it. There's a there's a synergy going on there. First of all. I think Robinson just does have a one-two plan in terms of his move, which is something at the top of the route. Ravens receivers, you know, have not had a lot of. Yeah. Bateman has it. Robinson has it plus speed, which is the important thing to really exploit that wrong step. I think I also detect, and maybe I'm just wanting to project this, that Robinson may also be able to le- read leverage uh, to to perhaps know how his move is going to be best countered time-wise. And so he knows how long to sit on it before to make that receiver take that. And we're talking now small fractions of a second. Yeah, yeah. But it's like Lamar Jackson reading leverage in the mesh point. Right. And being able to then, you know, make a great move. And by the way, it's, that's one of the funny things from that game, boy, the Ravens cannot execute a mesh point play without Lamar on the field. No. It's just, it's been a You think comedy that's funny, I find it preseason. sad and distressing. Yeah, <laughs> it's, funny it's, it's not the uh, word I would have gone with. It's, it's, it's sad and distressing. They don't have the right running backs for it. And they do, they also don't have the right offensive line to, to make sure it doesn't go very afoul. You mean in, in the preseason <laughs> games, they yes. don't have the right offensive yes. line. Yeah. Correct. I think and, that point that you made about reading the leverage that Demarcus Robinson was doing, like like his the slug part of the sluggo, like that slant mm-hmm. that he got the corner mm-hmm. to bite on, he like he spent a long time in that move. Like he really looked like he was settling into that curl, you know, that the that the defensive back bit on and then bam, he was gone. But he yeah. that wasn't a that wasn't a, a a subtle indicator or anything like that. That wasn't a head fake. That was a full you know, like that looked like a real move. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of what we want out of Adafi Owe. I'm yeah. getting some feedback now, by the way. As a pass rusher, is an ability to to uh, you know take that euro step, that small mm-hmm. movement covers the large from a three card mar- three card Madi shark, who uh, uh, will will sell you something and then give you something else. And it's right. just that we, we love it anyway. We obviously we see it from Laura Jackson, who's one of the greatest athletes of all time at doing it. But to, to have Demarcus Robinson showing this completely changes the nature of the Ravens wide receiver room. So do you- and I, I, 
Do you think that he, like, you know, the, the last year there was a ton of criticism of the Ravens passing game from guys like Kurt Warner. Recently, mm-hmm. we've heard Steve Young talking about the lack of sophistication in, you know, whether it's coaching small points or whatever. I think Kurt Warner uh, made points about, like, the angles that roots are being run at. Do you think when we talk about Demarcus Robinson reading leverage, this is a guy who's coming out of years in a mm-hmm. sophisticated passing game, you know, getting coached by Andy Reid and company. You know, is he just has he just had more education in that stuff than most Ravens wide receivers have? That I, I, certainly is a valid point. I think you know the, the Ravens have had good coaches on this now the last couple of years, trying to you know yeah. install a new. Say Keith Williams is a guy who who really watches the top of the route, and that's yeah. really what we're talking about now with Demarcus Robinson. And you know, how does he plant his foot, and how do people come out of there? Uh, come out of the top of the route to sell it best as they can. But there's just just, just an additional gift there yeah. with Robinson. It wouldn't be surprised me if Robinson was as dominant or almost at this level of dominance when he was in college. And he might have even been faster to make up for maybe being that much less of a leverage reader. But uh, you know, it's it's uh it's just amazing to see. And when you think about where he is now on the receiving totem pole, I mean, there's nobody ahead of him except for Bateman. And I, 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 you know, James Prochet and Devin Duvernay and and uh, even Tylen Wallace. I mean, you want to get those guys on the field and see who they are. But Demarcus Robinson is, you know, he might arguably be the Ravens' best receiver, but he's but he's at least the second best receiver now. So you and, think he arrives as wide receiver too? Like like today, he's wide receiver too. I, I based on what he gives the Ravens' offense, I can't see. Roman not wanting him out there for a lot of snaps. And the, the big thing, aside from his own route running ability and his own ability to sell at the top of the route, is what he does for the other players on the field. I mean, he commands safety help over the top. The Ravens don't really have that with another receiver who's, who is obviously going to draw that kind of attention. And even if they did have it from one other in Bateman, they need it in two others. Right. You know, in, ter- in terms of of making the defense make hard choices in a cover one or or uh, or, you know, draw resources completely away from the middle in cover two. Uh, you, you want that. Uh, but but I think that that uh, the other thing he does is with the, since speed kills to the degree it does, he's going to draw off defenders and uh, uncover the deep middle for more of likely and Andrews to dominate that area. So the Ravens become all of a sudden a very scary passing offense again with Demarcus Robinson. Do you think, so I want to ask you about two or three questions about what you were just saying. So number one, do you, so Demarcus Robinson, I think is classically an X receiver and Rashad Bateman is an X receiver. Uh, I don't know so much about the differences between X's and, and, and Z mm-hmm. and whatnot. Can they both play together? Sure. I mean, they can, they can both be on the field together at X and Z. There's not a, really a problem with that. Um, and I, you could even, it's possible, Robinson, there might be things you could do with him out of the slot. You wouldn't have him running traditional kind of over the middle slot routes, I don't really believe. Although he had a nice in-cut that where he used his body very well, looked like he was a tight end almost on the play yeah. in this game. But but I, I would say um, you're probably off better at X or Z. The Ravens, the, 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 okay, the Z receiver is called the flanker. Okay. okay, it's it's usually on a right-handed offense where your 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 tight end is lined up in line on the right side. You have a uh, flexed-out receiver on the right side who is off the line of scrimmage. The reason being, you have exactly seven guys on the line of scrimmage. Your tight end on that side is your one guy covering up your last offensive line on that side, and your X receiver who's on the left side is on the line of scrimmage and tethered. And again, this is at the tight ends on the right side. The the mirror is reversed. 
right? Or you're looking at it in the mirror if the tight end is on the left side. Okay. So now we it, it, now we have uh, the the uh, the Z receiver and w- what his advantage is. Well, the, one of the things the Z receiver can do is go in motion, and we saw that from Hollywood Brown a lot. And and but mostly or a, a lot, the Ravens use their motion on their tight end mm-hmm. or on Patrick Ricard in some sort of motion where it might be a run play or Boyle, you know, multiple different people, but, you know, they're doing it to support the run game. Right. Um, And even in that, I think the Ravens believe that they can determine what the defense is doing in terms of man or zone coverage by motioning that tight end. So if you can get that extra information and then you can also threaten the run, you, you have, you know, a double-edged weapon you're, you're wielding. So the Ravens, anyway, they're one of the unusual offenses in the NFL to use so much of their motion on the tight end as opposed to having receivers using it to break free off the line of scrimmage, get, get you know higher quality releases and whatnot. As a Z, you're not as subject to press coverage because you're more than, you know, you're a, line, a yard off the line of scrimmage. So, you know, there's various advantages to both. Uh, I'm sure he could line up at X. Uh, and, you know, he's a bigger guy, uh, but uh, but is, you know, if you really want to use the speed, maybe it's better. We saw him get off the line of scrimmage against a man right in his face on that left side. And the the defender it was odd. He didn't really make an opportunity, uh, make an effort to press him at the line of scrimmage. And Demarcus Robinson got really just went around him and yeah. outraced him to, yeah. the, to the corner of the end zone on the one that was just out of bounds. So there's nothing about being X. So, for example, if you are characteristically a slot guy. Like that usually carries, you know, size limitations, maybe deep speed limitations. You might have short area quickness, but not the deep speed. And mm-hmm. usually the classic guy who can play the slot lacks some physical gifts for playing the X. But yeah, they not work backwards, right? Like a guy who can play the X can certainly play the Z too. There's no like limitation there. Is that true? Uh, yeah, that's probably true. I mean, your, your your X receiver is typically a big, powerful receiver. He's likely to be the most prototypical wide receiver you have on your team in terms of uh, 6 two, two, 10, yeah. uh, ability to push guys around, too tough to press, uh, uh, has too many counter moves for press. Can and, knock hands off him with you know yeah. a lot of physicality. Michael Irvin, kind of. Oh, that certainly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, all, those guys are, you know, prototype. But Daryl Boston, if you go back, is just a big, powerful physical receiver, would have been an X. And, he and, lifted uh, himself yeah. right out of the league. He got too yeah. powerful. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, uh, so Demarcus Robinson, so you talked about speed with him. And I'm thinking of the other guys that, that had the uh, classification as Ravens wide receiver two heading into training camps. We're talking about James Prochet. We're talking about Devin DuVernay. Mm-hmm. And DuVernay has the speed. He's probably faster I think in terms of straight line speed and 40 time at the combine than Demarcus Robinson is, but he does not, he has not shown the uh, craftiness within the route yeah. and at the top of the routes that, that Robinson really showed off the other night. Now, Prochet has a lot of that craftiness. It's very precise route runner, but he does not have the speed. Yeah. So you're saying, go ahead. Prochet is more of a, more of a prototype slot guy yeah. uh, from, from my waist. And that actually limits what he can do with the Ravens. Since the Ravens use a lot of their um, slot guys, they they like a big slot. In fact, a flex tight end. Yeah, uh, and and that really limits the type of guy you have as a backup in the slot. It's not like the Ravens don't play a fair amount of eleven personnel. They do, but the number of opportunities for receivers is limited because they play less 
than a lot of other teams. And they play almost no 10. So you don't you don't see like Arizona like opportunities to get four receivers on the field right on on some other place. So they they're really since they're aligned around their tight end group, their wide receiver total snaps of the guys we have designated as wide receivers is going to be much lower yep. than the bulk of NFL teams might be the lowest in the entire NFL. I think that's I think that's fair, yeah. So DeMarcus Robinson was just sitting there this whole time? <laughs> It, he he seems too good to be true, and yeah. we may find out that what you said earlier is true. That that other cornerbacks are too crafty to fall for a lot of these double moves. That yeah. that his while his wiles at the top of the route will not apply to everyone. Yeah, uh, but they certainly the, the the cornerbacks Johnston Johnston and Neal, I believe it was, uh, they looked like little boys playing against him. Right. I mean, they were they were. You know, dad was too fast. They were just chasing after him, trying to catch up, didn't track the football at all. Uh, you know, bit on the first move, obviously, when they before that. And uh well, it was a lot I, of fun to see. I completely agree that Demarcus Robinson is the headline from this game, and and it was it was dazzling to see. And uh I had not considered that he enters the depth chart immediately as wide receiver two or as the starter opposite Bateman. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but that kind of leads me to another question which is through preseason, from what you have seen so far, is there any wide receiver that has made a strong definitive case to be wide receiver five and make the 53-man roster? It's really hard because I don't even know who three and four are anymore. So Prochet and Duvernay, they haven't even played. Prochet yeah. may not be around to start the season. We don't. We really don't know because okay. he, he, he hasn't been there. Well, But if we uh, assume that they are, just for purposes of discussion, let's say Duvernay mm-hmm. and Prochet are in, they're three and four. Would you, I mean, I would think that from a, you know, classical roster construction standpoint, you would absolutely keep a fifth wide receiver, but we've got, you know, a a tight end three who has made a strong case for himself. We're going to need perhaps an additional running back over what we usually need, because I presume that Dobbins is going to be on a pitch count. You know, is, is there an argument for only going with four wides on the 53 man? Um, I, I still would probably say no. Tylen Wallace, who would be number five, would have to go through the waiver process. I don't think the Ravens are ready to give up on him. Yeah. Uh, he's a very valuable special teams player. Mm-hmm. And they haven't really unraveled the onion to figure out what he is as a receiver yet. Uh, and I, unfortunately, some of what I see from Wallace is is probably also stuff I saw from Miles Boykin and Devin DuVernay in terms of their weakness isn't speed it's the ability to do anything to wiggle at the top of the round wiggle, yeah and, and and that's where you know we just saw it from Marcus Robinson and you you know your eyes pop wide open we saw a fair amount of from Bateman last year more yep. at Minnesota you know because you know we actually had more snaps to look at probably from from his Minnesota play um, but, uh, but yeah, Robinson just that, that, uh, that was an unbelievable display on Saturday night. So he had 22.5 yards per target, gaining 135 <laughs> on six targets with four catches. That's pretty decent. Uh, <laughs> how, how many, I, I don't know how many routes run he had, but I know that likely had 8.33 yards per route run, which crazy. is, is off the charts. Wouldn't surprise me if Robinson had more. I don't, I, I don't know if he had, I mean, the Ravens only ran 37 plays. He wasn't, he wasn't in there for all of them. They weren't all pass plays when he was in there. True. So, you know, it, he, he probably had more per route run and, uh, uh, it's just incredible that the, you know, probably the two greatest receiving performances in Ravens preseason history come back to back like this. Yeah. Do you, um, I've always had reservations about the statistic yards per route run because it seems to me to be a usage stat. Mm-hmm. 
you know, a guy who gets a lot of volume is going to have more yards per route run than a guy who doesn't have a, a lot of volume. Uh, and, and I don't see how you separate out skill from volume in that. It seems play calling and usage based. I think um, th- there's a there's a whole lot of things. I, I, we could go into this on like its own short because yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a. But one of the things I've been, I've been talking to PFF about is trying to get one of their interns interested in in doing a study on the value of a marginal um, target. And and my sense is that it's very difficult to define. By the way, because what's a baseline level of targets? And that's that's the thing is it, I don't know what Mark, Mark it's, it's very low if you're Miles Boykin the baseline yes. level of targets <laughs> yeah. is pretty low. But we don't want to we don't want to bring this all up all all night. Okay. But, but we we do have uh uh you know Mark Andrews had whatever it was 150 targets sure. or thereabouts last year. I think it was 146. It's a super high number. Sure, it, but but I don't know what the base number is. I know that he he got additional marginal targets that probably hurt his productivity last year. Hurt they, his they, efficiency. They, efficiency, yes. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 which means the targets on the margins where Andrews was the bailout target for Lamar Jackson actually hurt. Uh, and one thing to look at is that is that they threw nine interceptions targeting Andrews. Right. And so his the passer rating throwing to him was only about 93, which doesn't seem terrible, except it's probably right at the NFL average. And he's Mark freaking Andrews. Why the hell would yeah. that happen? Right. Uh, so the answer is, you know, Lamar Jackson threw a bunch of interceptions in that Cleveland game and specifically through four interceptions targeting Andrews. There's an interesting I've seen interesting studies in basketball where, you know, usage is the percentage of possessions that one player ends either with a shot or a turnover, hmm. uh, offensive foul, whatever. And uh there are studies about what is the correct, you know, so if, if the, if the offensive chances were split perfectly, every player on the basketball court at one time would have 20% usage, but you know, sometimes you have Kobe Bryant on the court, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you have Michael Jordan and intuitively we know that Kobe, that Jordan should be taking, you know, LeBron should be taking more shots than most guys. Well, what is an optimum distribution? You know, should he be taking 35% of the shots you know, because as he takes more of the shots, he be, he becomes more of a focus of the defense, and his shots become less efficient. And yeah, the, the one of the things about the NBA that's why I think that's an interesting question. And I'm not an expert in what defense is allowed anymore, but that you can't play zone defense in the NFL and what's in the NBA. That's one of the things that they they, they, uh, they made a rules change to allow zone defense in the NFL and the NBA as part of opening up the game. This is years ago. Okay, boy, I'm really out of touch then. <laughs> so, so with a three point game, they they with the three point game dominating, they felt like they could do more with zone defense, I guess. Because one of the one of the problems of you know in the I think the the the, the 24 second clock came in in what the 60s. Does that sound about right. Long time ago, yeah. Before I started yeah. watching. So one of the, one of the questions about it was just how long is it going to take you to work the ball inside and get the ball to you know players like Will Chamberlain and and. I don't know. Maybe the twenty-four second clock even was brought on to reduce his particular dominance on the game or the dominance of a few big men by trying to make it easier for defenses not to force the ball inside in in that amount of time. But uh, anyway, the, the I, I, what they used to have is they used to call a lot of illegal defense penalties, mm-hmm. and you were encouraged to get a one-on-one virtuoso versus whoever 
match up on one side of the court and have your other four guys right. move to the other side. Yeah. So the reason the NBA changed its rules was because that ISO ball was profoundly mm-hmm. boring. It did not lead to a lot of ball movement. You got eight players on one side of the court. You got LeBron and one guy on the on on you know on the left side, and uh, and it was ugly. And mm-hmm. so when they allowed zone defenses then the isolation ball went away, which created paradoxically created more movement. And then it also opened the way for the three-point shooters to become dominant, like your Steph Curry. So it's was, it was a really interesting dynamic. And we were wandering way far <laughs> away yes. from no, that's, this is about. This is cool. We, uh, we want to provide people with some interesting content. Well, so the point is that when you use conservative estimates for how much Kobe's or Jordan's or LeBron's efficiency suffers when he takes these marginal shots... You know, uh, it, it actually it, it turns out pretty low, like he really shouldn't even be taking 25, 26, 27 percent of the shots mm. because his efficiency drops. And because of the defensive attention he draws, the other players efficiency, you know, goes up a little bit because they're uncovered. You know, they're they're wide open. You know, a guy's mm-hmm. double LeBron and and Steve Kerr is open. Or uh, So if you think of that idea of the marginal uh, uh the additional marginal usage of the great player actually reaches diminishing returns pretty quick. You know, the, the, the lesson from the NBA modeling, you know, we don't know if it's literally true, but this is what the models indicate is that really spreading the ball around really is the most efficient way to play, even though the other options are less talented than your star. Right. Right. I, I, I think that's probably true. And that's in, in terms of decreasing marginal efficiency of a target. A lot of it goes of, of what's the source, what's the root cause of that? And, you know, the Ravens acquired, who was the guy they got? The name begins with a C, played with the 49ers and they played with the Raiders. It was a big touchdown guy, wide receiver. And like, why do I know all these things about him? And I can't, and he, and he, he didn't do very much for, I want to say Crawford, but more. Is it that for some no, reason? No, no. And this is a guy who, who was, he played against the Ravens in the Super Bowl. He okay. t- talked a lot of smack to Ray Lewis. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. And, and he had Crabtree, three reasons. Mike Crabtree, Michael Crabtree. Crabtree. Okay. So <laughs> Crabtree, why the hell am I forgetting names like that? Crabtree anyway, uh, uh, was a guy who was Derek Carr's bailout guy. Yeah, And so the year before he came, I studied every single reception for the year when he got acquired because you get excited and you want to you want to yeah. uh, look at every one of his targets. And as it turned out, I mean, a lot of contested catch opportunities where he had a really low catch rate. And, and that was that was really holding down his efficiency was the fact that when in doubt, Derek Carr threw the ball into a one on one matchup with Crabtree and said, go get it. So when in and, doubt, find Mark Andrews. Yeah. Is probably is probably hurting the Ravens right now. So uh, you know, having additional guys on the field is going to be good, but having additional peel off guys for the top of that defense is going to be really nice. Right. Yeah, having guys that they have to pay attention to deep. You know, Demarcus Robinson. You know, commanding attention. Bateman. Bateman is faster than we think. By the way, his mm-hmm. forty times uh, were were surprisingly good. In at the not at the combine, but at some of the other events that he tested at the year he was drafted. Well, definitely a uh, a guy who's going to make his living at the top of the round. And it would surprise me if there's quite a bit that Demarcus Robinson can teach Bateman. Yeah, I mean, I just I'm I'm looking at at the. I mean, you know, it's not like Bateman is a slouch at the top of the round, but if if you know some of this leverage reading is really going into that, I'd love to see you know Bateman pick up what he can from him. Let's talk about Anthony Brown because he had one of the greatest performances. Uh, by a Ravens quarterback in preseason history, 
yards per attempt. 136.3 as a passer rating. Uh, it, it, if you look at the entirety of preseason here with the quarterbacks with 25 or more attempts, he has a 117.7 rating. That's sixth best in the entire NFL. Uh, and he's actually forced the Ravens into a very difficult choice here of what to do. And, and Anthony Brown, he tomorrow will be Thursday, and we're recording this. We want to say this. We're recording this right around midnight on Monday night. So this will come out. It'll be Tuesday morning. And by the time you hear this, a lot of cuts will have been made. So some of this material will be will be dated. But Anthony Brown, they, they have really four alternatives with him. Uh, and they're keeping their cards. He only made a, like two cuts so far. Jimmy Murray is gone. And uh, and uh, uh, the kicker punter from the for Dicker is gone. Dicker, Dicker the kicker. Dicker the kicker. There you go. Those are the two guys who are gone. So otherwise, this is the information we're dealing with. We don't have any other cuts yet. Other than there's also a rumor that Tony Jefferson is going to be cut, but we knew that was going to happen anyway, whether or not he returns. And that's really what's in doubt now. So they have four alternatives with Brown as I see it. They could try and keep him as the third QB. So Ravens have a crowded roster. Uh, They have significant depth concerns at multiple positions. Uh, of course, I'm a worry wart, so maybe that's you know overstated, but it seems unlikely that they would all of a sudden, for the first time in recent memory, uh, have a third QB on the roster. Anything to say about that, Jim? Well, I think you know I was I was a re- you know maybe ten minutes ago I was saying maybe they shouldn't keep a fifth wide receiver, so I'm not the guy necessarily to say that. Uh, QB three is is the extra roster spot we need to create. I think that I think that it's a tough sell. I think that there are roster questions. There are there are places where we want to keep more guys at a particular position than the Ravens typically have in the past. You know, I'd like to see them keep a tenth O lineman this mm-hmm. year. They often only keep nine. So I don't think that QB three is the first place that I'm going to look to make an extra spot. However, as you say in your article, like he's creating a problem by being too good to want to get rid of like he he looks like I don't want to say he looks like Russell Wilson but he he's making plays that you wouldn't expect and there's an interesting difference to me between him and Huntley I think that when you watch Huntley play Huntley completed over 90% of his passes this preseason he drops back he is a he's his footwork is tremendous he's a poised balanced passer he gets to the top of his drop and he is in perfect position to deliver the ball. He gets rid of the ball fast. He makes good, accurate, good decisions and accurate throws. But he, you know, he's completing 90% of his passes for only 7.4 yards per attempt. He is the very definition of a dink and dunk quarterback. And that's in the preseason against vanilla defenses, you know, and, and we saw the same thing in the regular season. So he's, he's a very accomplished, a very skilled, a very smart guy, and he can compete. He does not throw it deep. And you see with Brown, you know, I don't think he's as good, like from the waist down necessarily. You watch him drop back. He's not as balanced. He's not perhaps quite as quick with the ball, but he throws it deeper. He, you know, he instantly, when he is on the field, the Ravens have a medium strike game that they don't have with Huntley on the field. Um, and I, it's going way too far for me 
it would be going way too far for me to assert that they should keep Brown over Huntley. I think that's a little ridiculous. But I think the upside that Brown shows is just really remarkable because of, you know, the the deep balls that he throws. Like his his he he opens up a component of the Ravens offense that Huntley does not open up. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, you know, the the he's the deep ball guy, and uh, and Huntley has been a short pass. He's really taken advantage of a great preseason by Isaiah Likely. Not not to say he also hasn't contributed to it. Yeah. yeah. You know, in terms of getting him the ball and allowing him to make plays in space. But when you look at the fifty four yak out of a hundred yards that Likely had in that second game, mm-hmm. um, that's not supposed to happen. You're supposed to get big yak yards on. Plays like uh, uh, Robinson had right. with you know thirty five plus seventeen, and I think it was twenty plus forty seven or whatever right. it was. When you get behind, when you fool yeah. the defense and you're behind them, not yeah. when you've caught a slant or whatever. Yeah, so exactly. So they, that's that's the, uh, the 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 point I'm making there. So anyway, the Likely's yak ability was terrific, and that certainly uh, did a lot of things for him. But I, I, honestly, Huntley doesn't have a, a great pocket presence, and I'm not saying we have seen that definitely from Brown because it was a very simple pass rush. The Redskins through and the Ravens offensive line, as bad as they were at run blocking this game, were absolutely outstanding at pass blocking. And they kept, you know, just the throws to Demarcus Robinson. It was four ATS plays and two ball out quicks. No mm-hmm. pressures yeah. the, on those six throws. Uh, Brown really has not faced too much of it. I do think that Brown, who faced some pressure in the previous game, has shown that he can handle that and isn't going to become a sack machine um, uh, as Huntley did at the end of last year um, by having pocket awareness issues. So that that was that's a that's a problem that I would ascribe to Huntley is that um, unlike Lamar who picks up more sacks because he's really trying to get a big play made in the run game, Huntley had has had problems running around the pocket and getting sacked for for, for larger plays. So I, I you know right now I look at it and I see you, know, you have a third year player, you have a first year player right there. Huntley's got to be a lot better than Brown. I just, I don't think I would ascribe that much better to him that I wouldn't entertain all offers for Huntley at this moment. Yeah. Uh, It's just tough to go with an undrafted free agent rookie as your QB2 when you're a contending team. I I mean, if if you look at what happened last year, we can't have a repeat of that. Um, You you might say that if all the other pieces were in place, Huntley would have had a better chance to win more games. And I think that's true. And he was close a number of times. So it's certainly, you know, you you could you could point to it and you could say it would. And I'm just not sure that he's he's really a better option than Brown by a substantial enough margin to not reset the clock. But let's go through the options again. So we can do that. So we talked about we can keep we can keep Brown as QB three. You can keep him as the second QB, but that means you have to trade Huntley. To do so, um, I, one of the problems is I don't think there's a great value for Huntley. I, I, a couple of or last game or maybe it was two games ago, I said, you know, I'd certainly trade him for anything between seventy and ninety. I think my range is extended down on what I would accept for Tyler Huntley right now, given what we now know about Anthony Brown. Yeah, Let's put it that way. Yeah. How low? Fifth round, what, sixth round. It's really hard to say because if you've decided Brown is the guy, you're probably going to cut Huntley, or you have to make a roster spot of as number three. It's, it becomes a, a you know a balance of scarce resources. Yeah. So one scarce resource is roster spots, another scarce resource uh, is uh, quarterbacks. You know, yeah, quarterbacks of, of course, and and then draft capital. 
Yeah. And so you really have to kind of make the choice of, of what you want to do. And there is an old, there's another component of this is that Huntley will be a free agent after next year, after 2023, which means the Ravens might get a 2025 draft pick in exchange, a compensatory pick. I, I think you have to discount that pretty substantially in terms of what you would accept for Huntley today. I think my range would be extended down certainly into the fourth round, and I'm not sure exactly where in the fourth round in terms of what I would take for Tyler Huntley. I think that if you decide that the upside for Anthony Brown is so good that you have to keep him and you have to make him QB2, then you inevitably, therefore, would have to be willing to take a six for Huntley. Okay. Just, so, just because you've got the roster crunch and you're going to cut him. There's an interesting dynamic that that may create because this is really where the third option is, is trading Brown. And I think that if if you call around and you say, hey, you, do you guys need a backup QB? We've got we've got two good ones. Um, Which, you, who would you like? Yeah, you, you could say who would you like and hope they make the choice that you really want to want them to make. Uh, most teams are going to want Brown, by the way. They're probably going to be willing to give more for Brown because he's a <laughs> of where he is in his development, yeah. even if, even if for only to like change the schedule of his development, uh, the, a team during the regular season might feel differently about that. They might say Tyler Huntley's got experience. Sure. Bring him in mm. you know, to Rod Taylor or somebody who's been our quarterback so far. Huntley is similar enough in multiple ways that we would like to have him and see if it could work. So you're saying and, Huntley's value goes up as the season goes on because now he's maybe an injury replacement or something like that yeah. and you need a readier player, whereas today yeah. the prospect and the upside guy is going to have greater value. So so Huntley has kinetic energy and the, and the prospect has potential energy. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, anyway, I, I went through that once with uh, uh, a uh, uh, Gabe Ferguson on air, and I had it had it backwards, and I felt so embarrassed But he knew, and he didn't call me out on it. Fortunately, I got myself before it was too late. Um, so, so, if they trade Brown now, my fear is even though you know there might be some interest in him, they, 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 they offer maybe a fifth round pick, and they'll say, "Well, look, we're fairly indifferent." to who we get of your quarterbacks, but you're going to cut somebody in in tomorrow at 4 p.m. and we'll put in a waiver claim, whatever. Thanks for thanks for alerting us that this is happening. And you know, your only response to that then is every other team is going to know in front of you in the in the in the uh, claim process as well. Every team is cutting, you know, 10, 15, 20 guys tomorrow. Is Anthony Brown really going to be picked up? So there's two, there's two ways he'll get picked up. Way number one is he's a waiver claim. And I actually think you're probably right on that if you're inferring, implying, implying. implying. Yes. Speaker that, implied, that, yeah. Yes, <laughs> that uh, if you are implying that he will not be picked up in the waiver claim process, I think you might be right. Because okay. there's only a handful of waiver claim pickups the whole year. It's like right. less than a half per team. So yeah. you might get 12 or 10 or 14 in a typical year, but it's not, you won't get 35. You won't get one per team. Okay. So good chance Brown is not a guy who uh, gets picked up, but then he's in the Ben Mason situation. Like last year, Ben Mason was caught. The Ravens thought, well, we we're one of the few teams this has a fullback. We, you know, have a great program here. We'll teach him everything there is about being a fullback and he can be the replacement for a card next year or whenever is appropriate. And 
they thought they, you know, it was a slam dunk to keep this guy. And that's why they picked him in the fifth round, even though they thought, you know, maybe there's a good chance we have to put him on the practice squad. And of course, New England swept in and said, we don't have a roster spot for you, but we have a practice squad for you. And we, and we have a better path for you to get into the NFL. So here's our deal for you. We'd love to love you to come back to New England. So you think that um, Anthony Brown is going to like the practice squad offer from another team more than he's going to like the Ravens practice squad offer. That, that would be the fear is that, yeah. is that um, there's another team with a more tenuous depth situation uh, who, who is going to get him that starting role or he might get a starting role. So, I mean, wouldn't you love to be behind Baker Mayfield and whoever in Carolina for the train wreck possibility? Rather than behind the floor. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you, you've got injury as a possibility always with Lamar, but you have that with any starting quarterback. So right. if you're going to be the number two somewhere, <laughs> better to be the number two where there's a tenuous number one situation. The Jets, if you're in, you know, want to be there, that's a that's not a terrible place to take a chance or, um, you know, there, there, there's plenty of other places. But there's no there's no point in being behind Patrick Mahomes or, or uh, uh, Josh Allen or Justin yeah. Herbert. Yeah. So. OK. On the other hand, uh, Anthony Brown signed with the Ravens as an undrafted free agent, which means that he has faced this choice before, and he's chosen Baltimore. Uh, Valid point. And it's a scheme fit for him, and I think that's really what what it comes down to. Well, so I would wonder is – I looked on uh, NFL.com on their prospect profiles to see what they had to say about Anthony Brown after the Washington game. I was so impressed. They didn't have a profile of Anthony Brown. Uh, so he may just be something that the Ravens discovered, somebody that the Ravens discovered that the rest of the league who subscribed to the like um, the combined scouting services or whatever just was unaware of. So maybe he didn't have competing offers, you know, coming out of college and the Ravens were the only one. And now he will. You know, that's my counter argument to my previous counter argument. I don't know what the truth is there. Right. I, 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 it's the Ravens could have literally scouted him as a stylistic fit. I mean, he's, he's a big five player. He played at Oregon, played on the East coast too, somewhere. Boston college. Boston college. So he's, he's been under the microscope for years as a okay. quarterback. So I, I, I don't think he's an unknown quantity. I think the Ravens just selected him because he's more of a stylistic fit. They think that he can run the read option if Lamar has gone or he is offense can be similar oh, enough wow. that Greg Roman can, craft things around him if something were to happen i saw him do something that i thought he did better than we've seen lamar do it which is drop back get to the top of his drop and immediately let fly on the corner you know on the edge on the deep sideline route like one two three four five bang and it's gone uh not necessarily in this game but in the previous game uh who did he throw the touchdown to the deep Deep left touchdown to, not to Marcus Robinson. You're saying Anthony Brown? Are you talking about the one to Webb in the previous game? The previous game, the one to Webb. That was a beautiful throw. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Lamar, Lamar gets to the top of his drop and he looks. And I mean, I'm not saying Brown didn't look right, but but Brown got to the top of his drop and he fired. And so that timing mm-hmm. route deep has not been a strength of Lamar's game, and that's an element that Brown has. Yeah, I, I like I like Brown's deep throws in this game as well. The throw to Webb was a, a, just a gorgeous mm-hmm. laser of a throw that barely beat the coverage, but I mean it, it had to be perfect, and it was right in terms of exactly uh, exactly how it's thrown. The two balls to Marcus Robinson, 
Demarcus Robinson. Sorry, I'm going to make that mistake many times this season. I guarantee you. But the, but the the two balls to Demarcus Robinson. Marcus Robinson created an enormous bucket for him to throw the ball in. And you, you, you hear that term, throwing the ball in the bucket. It means throwing the ball in the receiver's catch radius. And it usually also implies that you know, you, you're throwing it out of range of the, the coverage radius of the guy's covering. Well, you got a guy who beat the corner with speed. By 10 okay. yards. Yeah, but by five yards anyway. So he's, yeah. he's, he's well behind at the, at the point the ball is thrown. That gives the quarterback an amazing margin for error. Just throw, float the ball up there, let mm-hmm. your receiver track the ball, and the bucket all of a sudden is much larger. If you try and throw a line drive under those circumstances, your receiver is open, and he, and he could well catch it. But if you miss fire, you, you could well miss him. So you're much right. better off putting air under the ball. Lob, and I, yeah. Yeah. So he, he did a great job on that on both of the throws where uh, Demarcus Robinson had created that sort of space. And, and I was I was very impressed with that. So what are we leaning to? Should they let him go? Should they hold on to him? What do you think? Uh, I mean, right now, I'd be looking at option number two, which is keep him as the second quarterback and see what I could get for Tyler Huntley. Wow. I, I don't think I would trade Huntley for a six, but... I would, because I, the, the only question then is, do you create the additional roster spot um, to make that happen? Because you can, you can go back right up to four o'clock to get your sixth round pick, presumably, if the other team isn't playing some kind of a head game with you. But if you, if you uh, otherwise, you know, want to take the possibility of, of putting them on the roster, you also can, can give, buy yourself a couple extra days by using a vet handshake deal mm-hmm. uh, sure. that can get you actually all the way to the opener. So let's say Tony Jefferson was actually going to come back. And, and, you know, there is some rumor out there from Jeff Strebeck that he might not be coming back, uh, that he's going to be cut. And the Ravens, you know, they have a practice squad spot for him, but they don't have a regular season spot. But let's say they, they had planned to have that spot for him. Or maybe Brent Urban, they don't have an offsetting IR move for Brent Urban planned. You, can, you, can, you have yourself all the way to opening day to extend trade negotiations. Mm-hmm. Wh- whichever guy you want to trade – um, and and not you know cut either one, uh, and it's a nice cheap way to do things. Now the only thing that could be a little concerning about that is you're asking a player to trust you an awful lot yeah. with regard to that last guy. And if it's Tony Jefferson, you probably get away with it because he's he he has, first of all I think he understands here. and has the history here. And also there may not be that great an opportunity for Tony Jefferson elsewhere. So just to be frank, I mean he's very valuable to the Ravens. He's probably less valuable to other teams. Uh, so, so I, I think you, you could, you could try that. Um, and then, you know, possibly number two is you have to say a six round pick isn't enough. I value the, the roster spot less than I value the extra, the, you know, the difference between a fourth and a six round pick. So I'm going to, to keep them on the roster and we'll see what plays out during the season. I do not see any circumstance under which John Harbaugh is willing to let and DaCosta, maybe to a lesser extent, is willing to let Tyler Huntley go this season when he's got an experienced number two that has started games for them and gotten them into the right play and, you know, you know, found the right receiver and the team has rallied around. And, and you know, in, in a season that is kind of high stakes in terms of, you know, they they expect themselves to be contenders. And I'm sure that Greg Roman's on the hot seat and. You know, there's there's so many factors. You have an experienced number two. I just can't. I mean, the you know, John Harbaugh is a um, 
unconservative, I don't know, I can't think what the opposite of conservative is in this context, coach in some respects in terms of going forward on fourth down and other kind mm -hmm. of um, forward thinking, you know, progressive sort of coaching things. But he's pretty conservative in terms of, you know, trusting guys who have done it before and, and you know, a loyalty to, to veterans and stuff like that. I just cannot see. And, and I, I think I agree with you that I might like Brown better than Huntley this year. I just can't see them letting Huntley go. I understand the logic there. I just i i don't. I'm not buying into the nature that Huntley's really good enough to take the Ravens to any sort of promised land or any sort of um, five or six game purgatory they might face um, if he does it. I think you've got as good or better a chance with Anthony Brown, and then you have way more upside down the road with Anthony Brown. So I agree uh, with you, and I'm just going to try to argue it anyway. We just are coming off a preseason where Tyler Huntley has completed 90.6% of his passes. I, I don't think that's correct. I thought he I thought he was at 31 of 36 now, but not. I, I don't want to argue the nits, but he's 2 of 4 in this last game and 29 of 32 coming in. Oh, I have him as 29 of 32, so maybe I'm missing the last yeah, game. I think you're missing the last game. So he's 2 okay. of 4 in this last game. Didn't really look good as a as a – as Pastor, check your message, please, really quickly, and I'll, I'll uh, uh, look at this technical issue. Um, and and uh, yeah, I agree that uh, uh, that Huntley has been good enough that you it would be preferable not to um, uh, trade him. And I would balance all of these scarce resources you have, but I think they've they've literally been been now forced to the brink of these four things by how well Anthony Brown has played. Yeah. I think he is just, you know, he's he he looks too much like an NFL quarterback to me. Um yeah. uh, uh to, to to be a guy that you can uh do. I think yeah, I think yeah, he's I think the way that you phrased it in your article on the website is is um exactly right. He has created a problem which is which is beautiful. That's what you want these mm -hmm. undrafted free agents. That's what you want these draft picks to do, to create a problem. You know, like you are too good for me to want to let you go. And now all of a sudden the guy, you know, the incumbent is in danger because of your play. You know, Anthony Brown has created a beautiful problem. I'm glad I don't have the problem because right. it's it's a tough one, I think. All right. Outstanding. Well, we've talked a little bit about Anthony Brown, but there was another, uh, you know, very exciting player arriving on the scene, Demarcus Robinson, as well. That we we definitely need to get to, and that's Tyler Linderbaum. I was uh, super super excited to see Tyler Linderbaum, and I know with your preoccupation with his short arms that you were very curious to see Tyler Linderbaum. Uh, I was thrilled with his play. I think that maybe you're a little uh, more. Um, on the fence about his play, what, what would you like to no, say about? Him? No, I, I'm very positive about about how he played. I, I'm extremely forgiving of uh, players who have uh, holding penalties in their early in their career. I mean, you can look yeah. back at Ronnie Stanley had four of them in a game against Pittsburgh in 2016, and you look at Patrick McCarry's play, and he, you know, obviously a very short arm guy. Uh, he had two in his first game when he when he took over for Skura against the Rams. Uh, so, so it's it's not great. Yeah, you mentioned Marshall Yonda. Didn't he have some holding penalties early? Uh, Yonda was short armed, and he certainly learned how to deal with that. I, I can't I can't immediately okay. tell you exactly how many holding penalties he had in his first game. It's in 2007. I've got the information. I just don't don't happen to know. Uh, but uh, but with Linderbaum, I saw a lot of very positive traits. He was obviously quick. Uh, he he resolved double teams quickly, which is an important point. Is that you know his 
Part of his quickness is being able to hopefully jolt the guy next to him so the guard can hold the back end of a double team. In fact, one of the really nice things about him playing between two very physical players, in particular Cleveland, by the way, ends oh, yeah. up at left guard, but but even the other guys there, Powers and, and Phillips, if they're the guys, they're, they're both physical players as opposed to um, you know uh, what we call them. Uh, finesse blockers. Uh, finesse players. Finesse players. That's, what, that's the word I'm looking for. So uh, Linderbaum, I think, will, will provide a lot of value to the Ravens um, if, if it works out. He will provide a lot of the Raven, uh, value to the Ravens as the finesse player between two elephants. Zeitler, obviously, also a big physical player and, and not as quick at this point, although he's certainly smart in terms of moving around. But, but uh, I liked resolving a double teams quickly is one thing. I did think he had some trouble, um, or let's, let's say this, McKenzie had some trouble holding the back end of double teams on two separate occasions, once on which they really both held. And another where McKenzie just couldn't hold the back of the double team. I noticed it was on Baldy's breakdowns. He was he was talking about. It. I looked at the play and I'm saying, okay, I'm not convinced that Tyler waited for the proper time to release that block such that um, McKenzie had it entirely. Now I'm not blaming Tyler for it because if you look at the two, Tyler's a very polished technician coming in. And Khalil McKenzie is a you know a journeyman now. Uh, NFL lineman who has questionable technique and really has not looked good a run blocker at all this preseason. So I, you know, the blame I would lay primarily on on uh, McKenzie for the failure to pick up the back end of that. Uh, but it is some, something he's going to have to learn how to work with different linemen and work not only with his own ability to jolt, but also with how they're ready to pick up that player. You're talking about not leaving too quick. Yep. Exactly. So we had Matt Skur on the show. He talked about, you know, having go codes and whatnot. And, and you know, they, they may say a word. They may just uh, thrust their hip into the next guy to let him know I'm ready to take him kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, but, but they, you know, they have various ways to, to, to do it. But uh, uh, that's an interesting, uh, you know, his relationship with whoever the left guard is, is going to be interesting. And I think, boy, could it be fun to watch him and say Ben Cleveland work together because Cleveland, a, a punishing physical blocker so if if linderbaum can do any of the off balanceness to that player he is going to finish him i mean cleveland is, is has been the finisher for the ravens in this preseason i <laughs> there's a play i think a pass blocking play and it might have been the first touchdown the touchdown to demarcus robinson where linderbaum wound up finishing i think two guys fell down in front of linderbaum right two pass rushers and, and Linderbaum kind of swam on top of them and sort of hold them down and let. So I, I know that that was pointed out as someone as being an exceptional play. I think that was on the Baldy thing as well. Um, there's nothing wrong with what he did. He did what he was supposed to do on right. that play, but he didn't make a, like a. Like well, a, I agree with that. He, he didn't like. Anyway. He didn't jolt them down, but he took advantage of some unbalancing to kind of lay down on top of them, and he did his part to contribute to it. Like he he wasn't Absolutely. a bystander. If you look at the uh, yeah, he contributed to to both of those. I would agree, but it, uh, I did not mark it as a highlight block. Let's put it that like that way. Even though Baldy chose to you know bring it out and, and do it, respect Baldy's work. By the way, he does a great job, and he just obviously is just taping his TV set, which is a which is a very funny way right. to do it. He's just holding his phone right on the TV, <laughs> set and it's it's it works. It's, it's it's really good, and he's passionate about it, and people yeah. love his breakdowns. I I, I love that, but in in terms of the the amount of time they gave to Anthony Brown all night to make those throws. They had ATS or BOQ on all those throws. They had great run blocking from the so we're talking about ample back. time of space for him to complete those throws and, and he got the ball out quick. So no BOQ, pressure was yeah. impacting him. 
That's, that's exactly right. Okay. So I, I, I know ATS means the pocket would have held up for three seconds. Most of the people listening to this show, probably after, you know, however long it's been here, are, are going to know what I know what I mean by this. Right. But BOQ <laughs> means the pressure, the ball was out before pressure could develop, even though I can't say definitively that the, the pocket would have held up for three seconds. So I, right. The ball I, I came out just too quick. Yeah. So pressure wasn't a factor and the offensive line wasn't a factor. The ball was just out quick. Right. So, so good. I think you had some high. You did have some highlight blocks for Linderbaum, though. Yeah, I, I did. He had he had two very similar combination blocks uh, that were that were separated only by a couple of plays. Let's see. It was his well, the fifth and eighth scored plays, which is maybe the sixth. Uh, sorry, the yeah, the sixth and eighth plays that he was in uh, that were uh, were good ones. A second and three. There was an RM one and a first and ten. There was an RM four. And both of those uh, uh, were combination blocks uh, where he uh, basically very similarly blocked 79 then moved up to uh, level two. That's Hamilton, I think. And he's already gone off their roster, so he's not, he can't be that good. Right. Gone off their, and then they went up to block Harris in level two, who is similarly no longer on the Washington roster right now. So uh, it's funny because, you know, we, we bring up the Washington roster to, to write the articles and to take our notes. And so we're, you know, we're during the game, we've got multiple sources here and we're looking at stuff. And, and uh, during the game, we write down 45 when we're transferring it to, to the article and whatnot. You know, we have to translate that to a name and the number's no longer on the roster. <laughs> like, oh my right. God, what happened? So it's annoying. So anyway, it's a lot of fun. It's a preseason for everyone. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, I, I'm positive on what happened. I think Linderbaum has the potential to bring a lot uh, to to the Ravens. You know, you're not wrong to point out the short arm thing. I think he's a tremendously risky draft pick as high as 25 with the physical limitations he brings to the game. And it's not just arm length. It's also strength, you know, functional strength. I didn't get any, by the way, negative view of functional strength from this game. Me neither. I thought that he showed. So I I, I have a note here, core strength question mark, and it, it's related to, so I, I noted a bunch of positives for him that I think do translate regardless of the level of competition. I have footwork, body control, and speed. And I think that those things, you know, you can't downgrade what he demonstrated just because of the level of competition. Like he's going to have that beautiful footwork, that body control and mm-hmm. that speed, which is consistent with the scouting report. So he he needed to show those things he did. And then I wrote core strength question mark. So I think that he showed perfectly adequate, if not good, core strength in this game. But that's one of the things where you maybe want to take the level of competition into account. It's not like he was playing Aaron Donald. You know, he I think Tyler Linderbaum showed plenty of core strength, but, you know, this, this wasn't, you know, Pro Bowl defensive lineman that he was facing. Fair enough. And, uh, you know, obviously we talked about some of the guys who were already gone from the roster, even the ones who started for Washington in this game with uh, with Hamilton in there in particular. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, they, the Ravens did not throw the ball exceptionally well while he was in there. That's I don't think his part. He's, he was in there with Huntley for most of the game until the throw from Anthony Brown. And then the entire line uh, provided excellent uh, right. uh you know, protection for Brown. If I had to pick something else for Linderbaum, processing speed was really good. Really thought, good. I, I, yeah, he, he does a very good job of knowing who he has to block yet. I, I think, you know, if, if anything, there'd be a question of him coming off too quickly off double teams. And uh, the other thing is the holding calls. And we got to talk about that briefly because um, I think the real question is whether there should have been one or two holding calls, not whether there should have been zero or one holding calls. Gotcha, but yeah, uh, in 92, he blocked 
uh, at uh, on the first holding call, and I'll give you the the time distinction. So this is in the article; people can look at it there. But um, yeah, it was on the second play that was a run right for one. Um, he really he did a job on ninety two. He pushed him, he torqued him, he, he meaning he turned him so that he would you know have an advantageous angle on the run play. 92 is throwing his arms up in the air, asking for the holding call. Usually when the, when the lineman gets to that point, they won't give up on the play, uh, you know, and throw their arms up until they're sure they can get the holding call. And I thought, it, you know, looking at the thing, I mean, it seemed like he had a pretty damn good argument for right. it. Um, but the good thing about it is that it didn't seem to be a case of Tyler Linderbaum was holding because he was losing the rep right. in either case. So you get that with tackles a lot is or or even guards you know who beat a, who get beat by a dominating three tech is they have to always tackle the guy rather than give up the sack of the quarterback none of that it w- wasn't that at all it was run plays and uh you know one time he's in level two the other time he's in level one and both times he was he was engaged and in the process of winning the rep he just he just got fl- flagged for holding one time and not the other um by where his hand place it's was. outside of the frame during the hand fighting which created the opportunity for the holding flag to be called yeah Yes, exactly. Uh, you know, you you mentioned, I think, in our production meeting, the hand fighting, and I thought that was a high level. So I think you know you can you can point to that and say um, that's what we would have hoped. I mean, we we do know that that players with shorter arms come into this league with a lot of experience with hand fighting because they've always had to overcome that weakness. Kelly and Gregg, so, Marshall Yonda, perfect examples. So, you know, they have to be able to do that. And, and Linderbaum's no different. And, uh, and we'll have to actually see the degree to which other players will be able to adjust to him. And I think a lot of that is particularly straight up nose tackles uh, that get the opportunity to beat him in a one-on-one matchup. Um, but it, it'll also be three techs who cross the face of the guard and can then use their length on him to, to advantage. So, And they're yeah, already on the move. They've got momentum. So whatever... Yeah whatever uh, advantage that he has coming off the snap because he performs the snap and knows precisely when it's happening is negated if the, if the three technique is coming at him. Yeah. V- valid point. Uh, valid point. Exactly. By the way, the snaps in general, I didn't see a problem with those while he was in, but They're uh, bullets. yeah. Good. Good. So uh, one thing that you have not mentioned that I thought Linderbaum did exceptionally well is there's the moment where the center has snapped the ball and then he uncoils out of his stance to mm-hmm. make his initial contact with the defensive player. He goes from crouched over the ball to uncoiling into the defender really quick. Like he he arrives with, you know, maybe we have a question about how much power he has, but he mm-hmm. arrives with all of it before the defender is ready, at least from what we've seen so far. And that's part of the quickness in his game. So that's an interesting point. I'm going to want to go back and look at that. I think it's it's hard for a center to be really good at that unless there's something about his delivery of the snap that gives away nothing. Like he's a great poker player mm-hmm. in terms of not giving away the timing of the snap. Uh, but that's it's interesting because it's it's going to be defended dependent. I think it would about on the defender as well in terms of it's a relative skill. Yeah, the guy true. across you is slow. You know, you're you're going to work fast. You're right. Um, I would like to stick with Linderbaum for just another maybe half a minute. Uh, I have tried to be very measured in talking about him because I know that you're very concerned about him as a prospect and potential physical limitations. I am real excited about him. I know that we have talked about um, size as being a potential limiter for him, but we have not talked about the flip side with him, which is 40 time 
and a 20 yard shuttle being, you know, the best at his position in the last 10 or 15 years and the second best vertical jump after Creed Humphrey. And, you know, like there's, there's a bunch of testing at which he is exceptional. You know, it's, it's not, and it's not all negative, you know, for him. So, uh, you know, he brings a dimension in his game that is not dissimilar to what we saw from, well, I want to say Matt Burke, but he, Burke was larger. Uh, but but just the the quickness and the process the the quick processing the accurate decision making arriving where he needs to be you know in position there there's a lot of real exciting stuff that we saw compressed into those nine snaps in my opinion I I, th- I don't I don't want to review everything from Tyler Lindebaum's draft status and how I felt about the draft pick again right. on this we're, we're trying to trying to evaluate what he did in this game um, I do think if you're looking at the draft you got to be reasonable about where he was selected and who the, the really great comps are. And if you're really looking at first round comps who who meet the standards of arm length and also the speed and whatnot, I mean, Garrett Bradbury is probably the best comp of all. In fact, I, I saw one scouting report this year that said he's a stronger Garrett Bradbury. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, that's not a compliment at all. Garrett Bradbury, you know, he's not getting a 50 year contract from the Vikings. He, he, he didn't really come through as a, as a pick. I, we, we have to hope Tyler Mendebaum is a lot more than that. Billy Price with the with the Bengals is another guy kind of overdrafted in that first round. Um, never made it any other position either, but didn't even stay at center and and you know has been around now. Uh, you know, it, it, I, there are more comps on the negative side than there are on the positive side, even when you include things like the exceptional speed. But it's fair to say, hey, Linderbaum has those at an even greater level. What I just am saying now is, let's watch what Linderbaum does at the NFL level. Let's see if he can really overcome the limitations and let's see how much he can use his quickness and all of this zone blocking technique and the ability to get out in front of a screen pass and all those other things he brings that other Ravens linemen haven't. Uh, I'm very excited about his ability to play between two elephants in particular in terms of how he can help uh, the Ravens offensive line do things they couldn't do before. So I am yeah. very excited about that. And I, I hope people don't look at me as a polar prospect guy, because I'm really not. I want to be excited about Patrick Queen. <clears throat> I want to be excited uh, about Tyler Linderbaum. I just wasn't at the time. You can see it. You can read it in terms of what I'm doing. The guy I wanted instead of Queen was McKinney. And yeah. I've made no bones about that over the year. I didn't have a specific guy I really loved instead of Linderbaum other then I'd love them to to draft Kair Elam at twenty three, and and draft a center in round you know four or even five. But they, in round four they still had uh, Zach Tom available to them. So I'm hoping we're it, not going gra- to regret Karloftis in the first round. He's been getting be, a lot yeah. of buzz buzz in camp. Yeah. Was he, he was available twenty five too, wasn't he? He was. I think he didn't go okay. till thirty. Maybe I thought he went, he went a little later. Yeah. I say certainly they kind of ignore the edge for this year in a lot of ways by waiting until a job. But uh, but, you know, if if they're if they're right about it, then people aren't going to remember in five years whether a job was cost the Ravens anything this year. They're going to remember who a job is. So I'm going to try to let go of Tyler Lindebaum. I feel that there's a lot more <laughs> I could say about him, but uh, but let's, let's yeah. maybe do something else. You know what's good about this is we've talked about a lot of players here who had really impactful play, and those three are the most key. It's just taken us an hour to do it. So let's <laughs> let's talk about the remaining guys on the team and kind of what we saw. Um, pick any position group, and let's talk about any player you think that that their play on on Saturday really had a significant impact on what either their roster. Uh, you know, making prospects are or their role might be. 
not with the Ravens, but I think Dicker the kicker earned himself a roster spot on Saturday somewhere in the league. And uh, his punting was great. Did it, it, it seemed like, boy, this is a guy we could trade to Buffalo. And then already you've, he's, he's released today. But every, obviously everyone was talking about that the other day before the game. Right. <laughs> you know, this this right. is a, another chess versus checkers move. But I think all it is, is is maybe Dicker probably doesn't get picked up by another team. Or maybe he does. But he's also a guy the Ravens can have on speed dial because they normally have a second kicker, second punter that they've, that they've looked at. I... Um... I wrote down watching the game, uh, Ben Mason made a beautiful one-handed catch. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's no roster spot for him, but he showed, uh, it's just one, one play, right? But he showed a certain amount of agility and, and hands technique and whatever that, you know, adjusting to the ball that, um, really kind of caught my eye as a prospect. And, and I think that there have been questions about Ricard's health and his ability to play. Uh, and you know, Ben Mason has been a flashpoint for, for us for, you know, this is the second year now. So that's somebody that um, uh, made an impression on me. Uh, and okay, let me respond to that. Team. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think he's not on the team. Um, he, here's my issue with Mason. It wasn't the agility on that on that catch. That was like a, he's probably a little bit ahead of Ricard in terms of his ability to make that catch, although we've seen Ricard be pretty good sure. with his hands in the football. Uh, what what he wasn't anywhere near Ricard is as a blocker. And, and he's he's had some issues um, he's made some good blocks, but he's also seems to make enough bad blocks and has enough missed blocks that he really has cost the Ravens um, in the, in this preseason. And he certainly cost himself a future spot. I don't think he's a multi-year, you know, potential replacement for Ricard. I think if if he doesn't take over for Ricard this year for some reason, maybe they draft another fullback or they find another one among the UDFAs for next year and and they reset the clock again in year three. Tyree Phillips, I thought looked terrible. Oh, okay. See, I thought he looked pretty good in this game. As a so, tackle? Uh, yeah, actually at both. As a pass blocker, he was outstanding. He didn't make any real mistakes. Uh, okay. Very um, physical with his play. So when I say he didn't make any mistakes, he didn't, he didn't have a pressure or quarterback hit or sack. No event that he contributed to. And that was generally the case with the Ravens line. Quality of competition is an issue. But he he did a great job applying physical force. And I think this has been a point of emphasis because I've now seen it from him, from Falele, and from one of the guys who's playing right tackle. Who would that be? Because right Falele has been at almost everybody. But it's certainly from him and Falele. Let me, let me just say it that. That I've seen them make more effort to keep distance on the pocket rather than come close with 12 to 6 blocks. So when I say a 12 to 6 block, I mean he blocks him around the outside of the pocket and Ricky Wagner, the, the master of that, used to get people to the back pylon every time, as I call it, and get people past the pocket so they're not impacting the, the quarterback. In this case, and, and, and what I saw out of Aleli in week two after a really terrible week one, or a, a, just an, a below average week one, let's call it that, um, what I saw in terms of improvement from him was he was he was pushing that edge player out further. And I saw that from Phillips. And I, Phillips is one of the guys who really improved his stock for me in this game. Uh, I, I, I don't know if he'll be the, the starting left guard, but I thought, you know, I, I've said some some things that that are I'm really uh, I'm through with Phillips' tackle after that first game, which was he was awful. Um, uh, but now I think you know, he, you're he, the left guard picture is even muddier 
than it was before because Phillips had, I think, a pretty decent game here, certainly as a pass blocker. And he did, by the way, had some mistakes in the run game. Really so gave that's up probably on what blocks. I'm focusing on, yeah. especially because I was hyper, hyper focusing on Linderbaum. And there are plays when Linderbaum was in when when uh, Tyree missed some run blocks. And so I might be overweighting that. Um, yeah. yeah. So my my definitive statement that he was terrible might be he was he made two mistakes in eight plays or something like that. Well, he had, and I think you're right about when it occurred. It was all pretty early in the game, but but he had on the run right for minus one. He completely got beat by the. Uh, I'm supposed to have that here because there's a note for Phillips for a minus two here, and it's it's somewhere else on the page that Maureen's put it. Where did she put it there? Oh yeah, 74 beaten inside by 96 de. She does a great job. I mean, I can always eventually figure out what stuff is on this <laughs> on this chart, but uh, he got beaten to the inside that caused that first uh, RR minus one. And and the other one was on a pull block where he's heading left. And this was it's not much later in the game, but it was it was on the first play of the fifth drive. So it's the last drive of quarter two, but their first play. Um, he pulled to the left. This is his only pull of the day, and he failed to maintain a block. And it's 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 not an easy thing to do, but he had the advantage. It looked like he was just about to pancake the guy, and he and then he started to positionally block, and McCrary went outside instead of inside, and ended up getting taken down for a, I think a four yard loss on that play. But it was a, it was a let me get it correct here. No, it was just an RL one. It was for a gain of one, but he, the the play got blown up by the player that Phillips did not block right. on that play. That, that he didn't that he didn't put away that he left active. Yeah. Um, uh, judging by the who started and, and who stayed in bubble wrap for this game, it does seem like Ben Powers has the left guard position locked up just in terms of usage, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, so a lot of us were looking at maybe Tyree Phillips and maybe Ben Cleveland were were candidates for that left guard spot, and they seem to have not won it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Cleveland has outplayed the other two so far these, this preseason. That is my absolutely firm belief on this. Powers has hardly played, so it's not like it's fair that he lost it, but he played 32 snaps, and he wasn't particularly exceptional, and Cleveland was the guy down the stretch. Cleveland, obviously, all the crapola with him in the conditioning test coming into camp, it's very hard to predict, other than badly, how, that, how Harbs will allow that to reflect on the starting lineup for week one. So I would think at the very least, Cleveland has to way outplay the other guys to win that job back. So Orlando Brown, it took him a while to to crack the starting rotation his rookie year. Uh, this isn't this isn't Cleveland's rookie year, but but mm-hmm. perhaps we're looking at a similar situation where you know questions about um, conditioning, questions about uh, living as a professional athlete and preparing yourself as a professional, and all the kinds of things that that coaches will get on a player about. You know, maybe this is a situation where Cleveland has to win, not just on the field, kind of win back some some standing with coaches before he could get a starting spot. Yeah, I I, I think you've you've nailed it with that assessment of it. And and I, what I can see happening with a person like Harbaugh, who you can even see him being unforgiving sometimes during the interview process. Right at the podium, you know, Jerry Coleman was a guy who th- there's not a evil, malicious bone in Jerry Coleman's body that's really trying to get under anybody's skin or whatever. He's, he's kind of a kind of a New York-y kind of way of approaching things. Yeah. But this, he's not really trying to, 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 to be negative to things. But, you know, Harbaugh would get consistently upset with Coleman about his questions about injuries in particular. 
And, you know, you do have to read the room, understand that Harbaugh doesn't want to answer all the injury questions. But on the other hand, that's also some of what reporters need to try and gather. Absolutely. And and I, I, I thought that, you know, Harbaugh probably got permanently upset with Coleman to a point where uh, it, it, it was difficult for them to have a normal reporter coach relationship in that. I think, you know, what you said about Cleveland could be exactly the same thing. And all it would take because I've heard this on the positive side the other way, you know, a, a running back has fumbled. The coach comes to him because he can't let loose of the football or maybe he says something specific about how you hold it. And, and he goes, and, you know, if you get the old man or the guy turns away or he's not listening to you or he's, or he's clearly not respecting what you have to say or he doesn't respond well, any of those things. And Harbaugh is going to say, this guy's uncoachable or mm-hmm. he's going to you know, give him two demerits of uncoachability where you only get about five and, you know, Tim Williams, we saw how quickly he reached his level. Uh, it's, it's, Whereas I, I, if the player responded a little bit differently, like what could the player do differently in that interaction to, to not get those demerits? I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'll, I'll be the running back coming to the sideline and I'll try and respond as I would in a business situation. And you, you chew me out for that fumble. Right. So I, I'm, I'm coming to the sideline. I let the, my head's down to start with. Start the conversation with me as if you're Harbaugh. You you can't let that ball go. You know, we need you to hold it high and tight like we've discussed. I want your hand on the end of that football. I want that football tucked under your armpit. Are you listening to me? So this yep, is yep. what we need to see from you. Yes, sir. I'm looking you straight in the arm. Uh, I'm, I'm First of all, I'm trying to duplicate the the uh, what you're talking about without giving any indication that I'm not looking at you. But I'm definitely I'm looking you straight in the eyes on that thing. My, my concern over my own feelings has to go out the door about that fumble. I know, I know yeah. that's screwed up. I know I put the active listening, yeah. you know, not Tell back, maybe personally to, to criticism. I think that, um, no excuses. That's you that's and bad. I have worked in office environments and by and large, everybody on a football field has not, mm-hmm. I mean, in the NFL. And I, I think that there's a standard of communication between the, those guys that would be utterly unacceptable where you and I have worked that is accepted as, well, you know, we're just competitors. You know, we get fired up in the heat of the moment. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that coaches and players are more forgiving of screaming matches at each right. other than you would find at most nine to five situations. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, I worked at a screaming company. Where, no, I did where not. It, yeah, it's it was it was always, you know, we had people in the actuarial department. Um, meetings on assumptions often have a lot of people competing with loud voices, and and what if you tried to really get rid of that, you'd be submerging alpha characteristics in a way that would reduce productivity. So I understand that that you know in maybe marketing organizations or whatever you want to restrict the number of voices you want to restrict the number of cooks in the pot you want to be respectful of the chain of command in the military or or in the, on the football field but it's it's I, I you know I, I just in an actual environment I, I you know I understand the need for people to loudly express their points well so and, on a football field like those guys treasure the alphaness in the players like they yeah. want that's not something they want to nail down so I think that they're used to a certain amount of pushback and but but pushback, like I fucking know, coach, or whatever. That's yeah. different from slinking away, not yeah. listening. You know, it's it's. I don't know. 
you don't make eye contact, you turn away, you, 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 you make any sort of excuse or you talk over the coach in any way, that's going to be like one of the worst things you could do there. Mm-hmm. So, so you, you, you say, he, he, I had it high and tight, but he hit me here and, and, and it came loose. Well, you're not listening to me. You, you know, I, I don't care what you have to say really now. Right now, I want you to take information from me. And the only thing I really want to hear from you is tell back. You know, yeah. to, 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 and, and even that I maybe don't want to hear like the uh, act of listening, like repeating what you yeah. say, like, okay, you're saying I yeah. should blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, I, I, I you know, I, the, I, I, I hope positional coaches in those individual rooms tell people how to react to Harbaugh. Cause he's often the first guy they're going to see on the, on the sideline, but it also goes for the coordinators on both sides. They're going to get on their players and they're going to, they're going to uh, have those same questions and they want to know that players are coachable. All right, let's let's move on. Talk about some other players, and then we'll uh, we'll, we'll call it here um, because we've we've been going on a long time tonight. We've been going a long time. I'm I'm running low on guys to talk about. Do you uh, want to throw some out there? Uh, let's see. Was there anything else about the offensive line order? I mean, we saw McCarry at left tackle briefly. Uh, mm-hmm. Behind James, I would think you'd see that's certainly uh, not necessarily the two and three order at left tackle. But if Ronnie Stanley can't go, I think I think Juwan James probably is number one. I don't even know that Morgan Moses is not in the discussion at that point. But Moses, some combination of Moses, James, and McCary are probably the first three guys that would uh, that would replace. James has not terrified me at left tackle, and I know that that's an awfully low bar to say. But but I have been reassured that it's it will not be a disaster if Ronnie Stanley didn't go and James did. I, I've got a little bit different feeling about it. Uh, I think, you know, he, he, he's a right tackle. It's pretty apparent when he plays left tackle. Uh, and it's also pretty apparent he's he hasn't been playing football for some time. So okay. I, I, I think that he's played at a as good a level as we could reasonably expect. I think the replacement level is about where he is at left tackle. So we're not getting, you're not getting guys way below the replacement level. I would agree with that, but um, you know, we don't want another Alejandro Villanueva no, no. and Alejandro Villanueva was probably slightly above the replacement level or maybe not, but, but about the replacement level last year. Their strengths are different, right? So Villanueva had a lot of skill and not a lot of athletic ability left in the tank. He mm-hmm. didn't have the mobility or the strength. And I think James is maybe the opposite where he doesn't have, Villanueva's skill and level of craftiness, but he has a lot more athletically left in the tank than Villanueva had. Probably true. I, I haven't seen the great feat from James um, this preseason, so I can't give him credit for that. Uh, and and he's played, in fact, his biggest trouble was in in trying to protect Gardeck, uh, you know, trying to uh, protect the pocket from Gardeck. And Gardeck is a, is a journeyman guy. He may have actually played his whole career there in, in, in Arizona, but he had seven sacks one year. He's had zero sacks the entire rest of his career. Uh, and it's just not an, a you know high high productivity NFL pass rusher. And he was beating James too regularly to the outside. So okay. I want to see I, I want to see more. Um you know hopefully we don't have any question come up about this. Ronnie Stanley plays the entire season at left tackle. Looks like nobody's ever looked. I'm knocking hard on my coffee table here to get a lot of wood going with that. Yeah, I, I probably the best news we've had in the last two weeks was Ronnie Stanley's return to practice. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so some players there. Let me see if there's anybody else on my list I really want to talk about, go to other positions. Uh, you know, one thing that's interesting is Justice Hill is a guy I have making the team. Have no idea what the guy can do in the mesh point. We, we just really we really haven't seen it this 
year. I guess we have seen it previously with Lamar some, but a lot of Justice Hill's play has come in games where Lamar wasn't even in there, like the Week 17 right. game against the Steelers where he had a big game. Uh, he didn't. He hasn't played any special teams that I'm aware of this preseason. I thought one of the values of having him on the team is as a gunner. So it may be that they're just trying out different gunners and they're, they're going to put kill back in there when the regular season begins. Uh, but to me, he's, he's a speed option. So if he can master the mesh point, he's a guy you, you, you want in there in sidecar to yeah. give you that, to threaten the outside on the opposite side he lines up from. I, uh, I only have scattershot impressions of justice Hill from this preseason. And one of them is that he looks like he's trying to be more physical. And the other is that he looks like he has lost some contact balance, you know, as if he's more hmm. easily knocked off his feet. And I wonder, you know, is that just rust or, or is there, you know, has he tried to put on a lot of upper body weight and now his center of gravity is a little higher, you know, and so he's more physical, but less balanced. And it could be just, I watched two bad plays, you know, mm-hmm. uh, this is not like a deep, assessment of him it was just a very quick flash impression looking at him yeah i i haven't noticed that but that's an interesting point and it's certainly something you know we'll look at into the season if uh if, if he makes a team. Uh, yeah if he makes a team and he, and he may not uh you know one of the th- interesting things about the running back position uh here and i do want to talk about tyler Beatty before we drop off here but um one of the interesting things about the running back position is I think one of the Ravens running backs may not be on the roster currently. And oh, they're really? about to have a large swath of players released tomorrow. Uh, well, actually today in about, <laughs> what are we talking about, 15 hours from now. And and they'll have uh, you know a lot to choose from among the R and 1 players. And I, to me... I'm sorry, I the what players? The uh, the, sorry, rookie rookie players and the one-year players, which means they they didn't get a year of service time last year, but they were around on a practice squad or they, yeah. they were available to NFL teams during that time. So so they they have a, a number of players who who don't have any service time accumulation so far, and uh, you know the Ravens live in that space where they find guys. And unfortunately, last year, I, I they had a limited pool of people who were young guys like that. They did have Nate McCrary though. And Nate McCreary, I couldn't figure out why he was going not getting on the field. I think I know now. Um, you know, we saw in last night's game that Nate McCreary, and, and this has been true that basically the whole preseason without Lamar, they can't really execute a read option play. The first one, they had a bad snap from Powers, and Huntley just jammed the ball into, I think, Beatty's hands at the time. It was either Beatty or Hill or whoever was on the field at the time, but the play was busted by the snap. The second time... Uh, it was Brown and he made the wrong read. Mm-hmm. So he looked at the defensive edge and he said, he's coming at me, I'll hand it off. And the defensive <clears throat> edge had completely committed already to the running back and took him down for no gain. So they lost an opportunity there. And then the third time, uh, Brown pulled the ball and he fumbled. And that mm-hmm. was in this game. And it was McCrary uh, who he's taking it out of the mesh with. Now, that's a very delicate ecosystem that mesh point he, he yeah. needs to uh, uh you know be able to release that football when the quarterback pulls it out hard and my suspicion is that the veteran backs they had on the team last year knew how to deal with that and that the, that McCrary did not and that's the reason why he was the Ravens- keeping it when it was put in his belly and tried to take away yeah I yeah obviously the, the, the big thing is you know the ball gets pulled and Mark Ingram had the best philosophy about it is you pull it as late as you want just pull it hard 
Yeah. And, and he, he'd be able to, he'd be able to, to keep his, uh, you know, arms around that ball properly and secure it. And then as soon as Lamar was ready to really let it go, he was ready to take off. Uh, or actually, you know, it's really a process where you go through it taking off, but. Anyway, yeah. I they think all run together for like a step and a half or something like that. It's, it's, it's a, it's a it, it must take a lot of work. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really a much shorter time, but in Lamar world, he's processing things like at Muhammad Ali speed right. in terms of when the punch is going to come. So it's, it's uh yes, it is. A, is it is a kind of extended, you think of it as being a slower, slow motion almost, but it's, it's only really slow motion to Lamar. Everybody else. It's, it's back, <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, I did want to get back to Tyler Beatty for a second. Is that okay? Yeah. What did you see from Beatty? I'll let you speak first and then I'll, I'll nothing. Uh, I didn't, I'm not sure that I was still paying attention when he got on the field. That could be. Okay. So you mentioned the second half thing. Um, Beatty had the only decent run of the night, but that wasn't what I liked him for. So he had a 12 yard run. It was actually one where um, pretty much the only good play from David Sharp of the night, he sealed that edge and McKenzie's one of his good run blocks, which there weren't a whole lot in the night either. Uh, he, he sealed the other part and they had a nice 12 yard cutback. Beatty ran behind it. It's not even what I'm excited about. What I'm really excited about is he made two great pass blocks. And the first one was on the near, sorry, the second one was on the near TD to Robinson in the end zone. It was in Q3, 13, 10. He put a cut block. Um, I'm sorry, picked up the blitzing inside linebacker on that play. I couldn't even pick up the number. That's how fast it was, and that's wow. how much he stuck to the guy. So I, I, if if I was looking at another view of it, I'm sure I'd be able to pick it up, but I I, I didn't go to the effort. He, he, he just did a really good job of picking that up, and he turned that from a sure pressure into a ball out quick, where where that, that would have been a play that actually would have broken down before the ball was out because it was a lofted ball out pretty quickly anyway. Yeah. But that linebacker would have got there in time to, to pressure it. And then the second block, he, he cut he cut block the the defensive end Smith Williams, who gave him a lot of trouble in the run game at times. Uh, quarter to eleven fifty seven. If you want to go back and see that one, but uh, really nice to see a player who will be relied upon in the passing game be a good pass blocker. And I think he really understands that. And that's the second time he's shown that. He showed that in a previous a prior preseason game where he came across the quarterback to exactly pick up a rusher. And yeah, you draft a guy, you know, that was one of the big things on his scouting report was how useful he was in the passing game. You know, that has not been a Greg Roman dimension using running backs in the passing game. And last year during training camp, we heard a lot that they were, you know, doing a lot of practice to ramp up J.K. Dobbins in the passing game. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, then, and so that was exciting to hear. And then the whole train running back room went down and that all went out the window. But but to, to tack on the, the words that we heard come out of all the coaches' mouth a year ago in training camp with the drafting of Tyler Beatty, you know, now, like, there, there's clearly an intent to increase running back usage in the passing game, which can only benefit this team, right? There's so many times when running backs are open for a wheel route or, or running backs are sticking in the block when there isn't anybody to block and they're not getting out in the pattern, you know, just increasing the passing threats can only help this team. I, I, I think you're right. I mean, for, for one thing, you know, the Ravens are on an awful lot of vertical routes or an awful lot of routes deeper on the field. I'll say don't even have to be verticals. Um, but the they run a lot of routes. that Mark Andrews is an expert at, for example, those are, for, yeah. For example. Yeah. And, and, and other, other routes that can be slant, they start off as slant routes, but they go deeper on the field and somebody has to cover that guy. But when, when you have an extended play that creates space for Lamar Jackson and a check down running back actually creates a 
you know, secondary spy for Lamar. Uh, if if you have an inside linebacker that's held in by the fact that there's a running back over there, so so the the the, the old you know um, read one read two rice uh, kind of a progression that that Joe Flacco would use uh, is it, it would not be ideal for Lamar in terms of of his running game. So he's he, he tries to extend plays, you know, wait for problems to happen with the pass rush breaking down. And then take off. And if you can eliminate those those uh, you know players who are closer to the line of scrimmage, it's usually good. But to back to your point, which is I think excellent, is that they brought in Tyler Beatty this year, which is really a commitment to a passing game running back. And they did it the same year where they drafted Tyler Linderbaum, number one, who is the first guy in years who can really get out in front of a screen pass uh, in in a big way. So I think those two together could be uh, guys that are very complementary. You mentioned the propensity to leave linebackers lingering where they can, uh, you know, impact a potential rush by Lamar. And that immediately I flashed back to the Dolphins game last year, where one of the key things that the Dolphins used was what I think of as a green dog blitz. I think they called it a key blitz, which is if the if I'm a a linebacker and the running back that I'm assigned to is sticking in a pass block, I become a, a you become a blitzer. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's a green dog. So if we're if if we are looking at that situation and the running back separates himself immediately from the pocket, either goes out wide like to a wheel route or something like that, and becomes part of the pattern, you know, then that takes away that green dog or key blitz, you know, and that opens up another target. So and creates space for Lamar to the other to the other side of the field. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, the, the, the thing about Beatty is because he's a, um, powerful, uh, low center of gravity guy, you know, that contact balance you mentioned for Hill is going to be something that hopefully gets him by some of these first linebacker, uh, uh, things. In fact, one of the great things about him on screen passes is I don't think he needs three great screen box in front of him in the Raven system. I think he need one. Yeah. alignment and Linderbaum can do it you have tight ends and wide receivers who are blocking and then you know Tyler Beatty should be able to make somebody miss too yeah. while we're at it <laughs> so that's the whole reason you got him Ken I, I think I'm running out of things that I observed or the things that are directly relevant to the Washington game uh, and I think that uh, we're getting close to cut down time. Sure. I wonder sure. if we yeah. if we need to wrap up. Is there something that we need to hit? Uh, I, I, maybe Benjamin Victor is somebody I want to talk about as a guy yeah. who I think the the two wide receivers who I think improve their standing. And I do think all of the wide receiver darlings are going to get cut, but the but the two I think improve their standing in terms of the practice squad. Uh, Victor is a guy who went up and got the football effectively. Twelve uh, yards per target on the preseason. Yeah, so obviously very solid from that, and that's that's uh, that's terrific, and it really showed the ability to go up and get a football. And and um, I, I'm not sure how much the Ravens can really make use of that, but he's a guy I'd want to keep on the practice squad in case something happened to one of the guys. Uh, the other one is um, is Polk, and and the reason for him is not exactly what he's done, but uh, he had a um, uh, he's 21 years old, and the oh. other guys are all 24 or 25. That's so right the, there. That's big, big. Yeah, big difference. Oh, I know what I, I want to mention this about Victor, too. He made just an outstanding Ravens-esque, Miles Boykin-esque, maybe I should even say, um, run block on the touchdown by um, Brown. So they hadn't oh. had any any good runs the whole day, pretty much. And Brown you know, ran, ran six yards for that touchdown. But if you look in the end zone, Victor is uh, attached 
to kneel and he maintains that block for probably three seconds. Nice. Uh, kept him from coming out and, and making a play on, um, on uh, Brown. So, so I want to say that age for a prospect is to me what arm length to a prospect is to you, which is I love the 21-year-old, the 20, the about-to-turn-22-year-old yeah. guys who have the athletic upside, the growth curve. They're right at the beginning of it. You can I, – I've got some bugaboos on arm length, particularly for, for certain positions, but I'm, I'm the most ageist uh, <laughs> analyst you'll ever see, and, and even more so for baseball. I mean, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. That, that it's uh, it's it's a huge factor. In fact, I was really so upset about what was happening in the 1980s with Epi Guerrero and Dominicans misstating their age. Okay. Oh, yes. I, I I would have basically espoused a philosophy of a GM at the time, and this you know this would not have aged well. That you can never sign a Dominican position player because he's four you, years you, older than he said. Yeah, you, you and, and you ha- you are unable to project. Mm-hmm. His, and, and he might be four, he might be two, or he might be one. You really don't know. You just right. know it's probably a lie of some sort. And you know, Junior Felix was the was kind of the poster child of, of lying. <laughs> if you're talking about good players, you know, Miguel Tejada is a guy who who they just adjusted his age for two years sometime sometime after he joined the Orioles. I want to tell you though that my preoccupation on age for prospects, Tom Brady breaks my mind. I have to ignore him most seasons. <laughs> just, just pretend he's not there. All right. Well, fair enough. I tell you what, Jim, I thank you for staying with me right up into the middle of the night here, because, you know, <laughs> we could talk football forever. And and uh, hopefully people listen to this. They just understand how much we really enjoy talking football. Right. We are rambling. I really feel bad for somebody who's looking for a punchy, focused episode because you're not getting it from us. Well, you, you got some focus on the on the three top players. And, and, uh, and if you're still here, by the way. Uh, if you would wouldn't mind, take the time to write us a review. Uh, hopefully, it's a good one after after this kind of an episode. And and uh, I, I appreciate those guys it you would not shut up. Damn it! Yes, yes, yeah. The, I, we, I might be asking for it at the wrong time. You, you got to wait to ask for a tip or a referral at the right time in the insurance Yeah, I think business. you're right there. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, Jim, tell folks where they can uh, contact you and talk football with you online. Well, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm at zip underscore Jim, or you can find me among the likes whenever, uh, Ken mentions his podcast. Uh, and I'm also on the RSR forums, uh, but I do have a day job. It's not all football for me. So, uh, so Twitter is really the place to look. All right. Outstanding. And uh, not writing anything currently, right? I I'm hoping, you know what, when the season starts up again, I'm, uh, planning to resume, my uh, column on the RSR on the Ravens pass catchers. I probably should uh, ask Tony Lombardi if, that's, right. uh, if he's fine with that too. But I've certainly been planning to do that. Uh, I think Tony accepts any any contact that's given to can't content that's given to him for free. So I, okay. I'm sure he won't turn you down, and and especially coming from you. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. Love to hear from you. I'll get back to you very quickly. And we've got some time right now. I'm going to do a concerns series. I'm going to tell you right now, Jim, I want one from you in terms of of a concern about the current Ravens. And the better you can do at making this not focused on a position-specific group in terms of depth, which we'll cover all those. Believe me, we'll cover all those. Uh, uh, The more interested I'm going to be in it. So maybe if there's something schematic that you don't think the Ravens do well, that'd be great. So uh, you folks out there, I'd love to hear from you. Jim, thanks again for coming on. Ken, thanks for having me. I'm always grateful to get an invite for you. This is a highlight of my – this kind of thing is one of the highlights of a football season for me. Thanks so much, Jim, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.